from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrill Merrigan. Hello and welcome to Chapter 49. That's oh, different. What's the story podcast? My name is Danny Murray. Graham Arrow American is with me as always. What up, Danjo? What up, G? How are you, kid? Yeah, good. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, yeah, this is chapter 49. We're one away from the big 5-0. The big 5-0. Um, the, the chapters are just rolling by week by week, week by week. Do you know what else is rolling by up here? What? The beautiful surroundings of Cliney Hill and the, 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 the views that are just... That took me a while to say, didn't it? That's all, folks. Uh, from, yeah, of course, Fitzpatrick Castle here in the beautiful surroundings of downtown Cliney. Not much views tonight. As we're recording, there's a lot of mist. Yeah, a bit of she mist rolling in off the she over the hills that are here. So uh, it's been very warm, though, hasn't it? Very humid. Very, very humid. sweaty. Um, I wouldn't imagine it's sweaty in the air-conditioned rooms of Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out FitzpatrickCastle.com or... Why don't you pop up over the summer? Every Friday throughout the month of... Not throughout the month, sorry, throughout the summer. Starting on the 17th of June, which is this Friday coming. Barbecue. Unbelievable. Is it? Every Friday? Yeah, I think it's every Friday they're doing it. Yeah, check out their website and check out their Facebook page for more details. But you can come up here, get a barbecue. Love barbecue. Get a load of Prosecco man. into you. <sighs> What's your favourite barbecue condiment? When you... Oh... I don't know. I was at a barbecue last week and I had uh, I had these uh, mustard and chili sausages. Right. And I had them in a in a, in a bun. In a bun, a, yeah. a flour free bun. If Lindsay does listen. Right. And gluten free uh, was it? Gluten free. Gluten free. Yeah. It wasn't man. It was all. It was proper bread. Oh, it was delicious. Say was it? It was delicious. Man. Yeah. And fried onions on it. And nice. like Jack Daniels. Sauce on Jack it. Daniel's barbecue sauce. I do quite like Jack Daniel's barbecue sauce, but what I love is Paul Newman's sticky barbecue sauce. Oh, Paul Newman has sauce. He has an entire charity range of sauces. Is he brown bread? I think so. God bless him. He has sauces. That would have been a great time to use your joke against you there, John. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. If I knew he was dead. Uh, yeah, he has a range of sauces and salad dressings that... Um, all proceeds go to charity. Very it's good. a non-profit yoke, and they're the well, the barbecue one. That's an odd one, isn't it? Paul yeah. Newman with condiments, condiments, Con- condiments, condiments, incontinence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I would be a big fan of barbecue sauce. Or I I also quite enjoy the humble ketchup. Oh, ketchup's great. I do love a bit of humble ketchup. Jennifer brought home uh, loy ketchup the other day. Did, did you throw it at her and say get back over to the shop and bring me home the real stuff, Jen? No, Carl did. That's all right. Come on, Carl. Come on, Carl. I was like, would you stop? It tastes exactly the same. Oh, it doesn't. It's blue, really rotten. It doesn't taste exactly the same. I've never ventured into the world of light anything. Uh, she's on her slimming world buzz. So, yeah. uh, no, that's oh, there's no look, difference, man. Look, so long as Jen's being healthy and happy, that's all that, you know? I love barbecue food, though. I do love barbecue. I love, I just love a good burger. Yeah. Burger. What What? What do you put in your burger at a barbecue? Um, Cheese. Right. Onions. Does it have to be melted? I'd like to put it on at a temperature where the burger will melt it because I don't really like cheese but on a burger cheese goes well do you like onions fried or raw I go for both oh yeah because I like the crunch of a raw onion so one burger each or no on the same burger I'd mix and match because I like the crunch of a raw onion but I, I love 
Friday. Do you know what I think is the nicest? I'm starving, man. The nicest onion is in a Chinese, in a curry. Love onion They're in a curry. They're quite crispy, aren't they? Love onion in a curry, man. Not yeah. that I eat curries anymore, Lindsay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'd say people, because we talk about food a lot in, in the start of these podcasts, so we yeah. say people are. Um, but yeah, now I'd go for both onions, maybe even um, a little bit of lettuce. See, we always record after dinner time, so yeah. we've either skipped dinner to get here, or we've had a massive dinner. Yeah. So I haven't had dinner just yet, so I'm bleeding lepin. Well, maybe you can swing by the barbecue upstairs <laughs> and get something on your way out. The PJ's story, boys. All right, boys. The BBQ. Give the burger. Yeah, I'll go for bow coins, onions, maybe a bit of ketchup, a bit of mayo. Do you know what? Oh, I, was nom, in, nom, um, I was on a, a big family and friends holiday years ago in Orlando. Yeah. Uh, and in the, in the hotel we stayed in, they had, like, at the swimming pool, they had this big... American style barbecue for mm-hmm. the residents to use. And there's about 20 of us, and we got loads of meats and all. It was love massive. It. Love it. Yeah. I love ciabatta bread. Yeah. He's called ciabatta. Yeah, that's what he said, ciabatta. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of just a, a nice kind of. You know, the baps that are um, attached to women. I mean, I was <laughs> 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 no, not the baps that are kind of. They're almost like a baguette, but they're fluffy. Do you know what I mean? Right. They're kind of crispy on the outside kind of thing. Yeah, I like them, man. Love them with them. I love that. And, um, Do you remember the old hot dogs you used to get in Tesco's, buddy, Rack? No. Yeah, we used to get them, like, f- 50 cent or maybe a euro. Right. And uh, it was on, like, it wasn't a soft, your traditional soft bun. Yeah. And it wasn't your traditional frankfurter sausage. It right. was a sausage, and it was on a crispy bun. And the mustard and ketchup. Yeah. Do, you know the cheap, do you know the cheap ketchup you get the football matches and all? The one, that, the, the one that's in that bottle. It looks like KVI, but it's not KVI because yeah. KVI doesn't exist anymore. But it is KVI. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's very vinegary, I find. It's nice, though. It's nice. Yeah. When you know the environment you're in, it's nice. Yeah, you can appreciate it. It does like, the job, like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm starving. Um, yeah. An hour now before I have something to eat. <laughs> yeah. At least, kid. At least. Um, but anyway, look, enough about all that. We have a great, great show this week. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking to Alan Gernon. Who was the author of... Who's Alan Gernon? He's... Uh, well done, Graham. <laughs> he is the author of a brand new book that documents the lives of footballers after they've hung up their boots. It is called Retired. What happens to footballers when the game is up? Lads, it is absolutely brilliant. Some of the stats in it are crazy, man. Unbelievable, they are. They are absolutely bonkers. Alan's a great bloke as well. Um, so we'll be talking to him about his book and about football in general. Graham, before we talk to anybody... Time for a little something I like to call housekeeping. Alright then. The barbecue could have been part of the housekeeping, but we just waffled. Yeah, because we are doing our segue about Fitzpatrick's having a barbecue up oh, here yeah. every Friday, which you can come up to and get a feed. Anytime you or I mentions the word segue on the podcast, I always think of you going around the board in a segue. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, Graham. Danny. Last weekend saw UFC 199 taking place. Unbelievable card. It, it was a fantastic card. Michael Bisbing. Uh, at this stage, look, lads, no spoilers. Look, it's, it's a week later. If you haven't watched it by now, tough. Good luck. Right? Uh, Michael Bisbing is the new middleweight champion of the world. Mm. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought it? Uh, I, I tried to back it, and um, Paddy Power and the rap wouldn't. 
wouldn't let me. It said this market is suspended. So you were raging, were you? I was sick because I had an uh, he I had an accumulator on. Yeah. For Dustin Poirier to win, Max Holloway to win, Dominic Cruz to win, and my fourth one would have been Michael Bisping. Jesus. And when I went into the, you know, when you go into the fight market, there was asterisks mm. beside Bisping's name. Was Take, he high odds? I, I think he was. Because sometimes Paddy Power do that with MMA. They don't let you put high odds fighters together for some reason. Well, when you say high odds... Well, not w- just Paddy Power, a lot of bookies. He was the underdog. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it just said the market on this has been suspended and the odds are too short for the treble, so we just so didn't, I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, all, all bookies can do that at times, sorry, not just... But, spoiler um, alert, Paddy. I was right. You were right. had it done yeah. it. Yeah, congratulations, well done. Um, on picking out the winner of that fight personally speaking I wouldn't have backed him because I, I didn't see not that I think like I personally speaking I think if Luke Rockhold fights Chris Weidman Chris Weidman wins the mm. only reason he lost the first fight because he tried to do a ballerina spin yeah Um, I don't think Luke Rockhold is the greatest middleweight on the planet simple as that like but anyway no Michael Bisping is well at the moment anyway yeah, yeah. And he who's going to argue with him, huh? And their post fight press conference oh my yeah, god yeah very funny they very very funny slated each other fools Rockhold wants him. Um, but we'll keep talking about 199, but one of the things that happened at UFC 199, and I suppose everybody is doing it. Which relates own. to you in a way? No, no, no. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, sorry. Um, Muhammad Ali passed away. Oh, yeah. Um, now, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Muhammad Ali because the second it happened, obviously we were very sad, but we decided we were going to do a Muhammad Ali special. Mm. So we're in the process of putting that together with people who are a lot more uh, educated, knowledgeable on a man such as Muhammad Ali. And we hope to bring that to you in the next couple of weeks. It will be a labor of love. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I was brought up in Ali, so I was made sit in front of the telly watching all his documentaries and his fights. But it was a pleasure at that age because being, I suppose, a pro wrestling fan as well, starting out in the early 90s um, late 80s early 90s you would be attracted automatically to the personalities you know the big personalities mm. the charismatic fellas so when my dad always used to put me in front of the telly watching Ali clips and stuff like that I was completely in Enthralled, awe yeah, yeah he, it was just like who the hell what the hell is this he was look for many he was a polarizing figure especially at, at, at the peak of his powers because of the fact of the things that he was saying and that but um as we won't spend too long on purely it's because extremely we're going to do, inspiring individual but, but but a lot of what he accomplished will never be accomplished again and if you're looking for something because i haven't heard many people talk about this but if you're looking for something to watch in the meantime before he fought sonny liston um obviously he was the only top bravado thing and this is about the sonny liston fight is probably where he announced himself really wasn't it yeah big time and, um, the famous I shook up the world yeah and uh, kind of a big ugly bear and yeah. all that kind of stuff but there's a great bit of footage it's on YouTube anybody can check it out where Sonny Liston is playing um, cards at a casino in Vegas and Ali is going through the casino sees him and with his entourage walks over to start shouting at him like you big ugly bear yeah. Sonny Liston stands up pulls out a gun and fires it in the air <laughs> Ali scarpers <laughs> <laughs> absolutely scarpers the entire casino was going mental everybody's running all over the place Sonny Liston sits back down just opens his jacket out and shoots the inside of his jacket and he's like just blanks full 
<laughs> Everybody's going all over because he's at the fire and going to the casino, and he's like, "Oh no, why are you going, going, going? Everybody leg it." And he's just there, it's just blanks. He really, Ali, really got this only list though. Oh, definitely, really, got definitely, him. yeah. But anyway, we will touch on the great Muhammad Ali um, in a couple of weeks when we do um, Muhammad Ali special. But I just wanted to, because at UFC 109, they don't know, I thought, a very nice tribute to him. A lovely tribute. Um, it's, 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 it was fitting that Michael Bisping shook up the world. Yeah, true. Yeah. On the day Ali did it. Um, something else that shook up the world, and this is the thing you're talking about that does relate to me, Yeah, was the announcement for UFC 200, which I shall be attending. Of? Um, a man who, now I, I want to say, am I saying this right? Barack Lesnar. No, you, right. you can't say it, man. Will you try to say it for me? Barack Lesnar. That sounded almost right. Let's see if we can get this. Barack Lesnar. That sounded a bit better, didn't it? Yeah, that sounded. A bit that's how you're supposed to that's say it. That's how you're supposed to that's say it. That's how you're supposed to say it. Um, so, yeah, Barack Lesnar will be fighting at UFC 200. That was a shocker, man, wasn't I it? I did not see that coming at all, man. Did you stay up for the UFC 199? Um, I set up close to prelims and then I dozed off because I may have been having a few beverages on Saturday. Okay, so um, before, before I was at a function, but I got home about 12, 12.15 and com were reporting, you know, uh, Brock Lesnar is in final discussions with UFC about a return for UFC 200. And I was like, here we go again. This. You know, the rumours are never ending with Lesnar's return. And yeah. He signed back with a four-year deal with WWE. There's no way he's coming back. And then, yeah. during the broadcast, they showed a UFC 200 ad. And it's just Lesnar. Can you yeah. see me now? And then that's, Joe Rogan didn't even know. He went back to Joe Rogan and he's like, "What? Is that? that's not true, is it? And Goldberg's like, yeah, yeah. it is. He's like, what? Yeah. Who's he fighting? That's not true. And it was real off the cuff. Off the script but kind of conversation. That's how much, and I think this is where, because the whole Ariel Helwani um, incidents afterwards, because the UFC obviously wanted to keep this as under wraps as they could, so that when that promo played, that was the first people got of it. Dave Schaller, who is very high up in the UFC. Yeah, he's the vice president, yeah. pres- president of the press relations. He didn't even know about it. <laughs> Crazy. You know what I mean? So Rogan not knowing about it, Dave Schaller not knowing about it. And Ariel comes along and potentially breaks this news before yeah. the UFC have got a chance to kind of whet their appetites, so yeah. to speak, with the frenzy that was about to come. And then ban him. Um, and then ban him for life. Him. And then they realise the error of their ways when they see him kind of, shit, Ariel Helwani has a bigger following than an awful lot of air fighters. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of air fighters are actually saying they'll support him. Maybe we should just put this to bed and just chalk it down to learning experience, yeah. lesson learned, and move on. Like, But apparently Lorenzo doesn't like Ariel at all because... Uh, there's been a couple of articles where Ariel Helwani has written about the takeover, the potential UFC takeover, yeah, and also the free agent market where he was kind of saying, you know, Rory McDonald has one fight left, and I think Ariel suggested or perhaps covered an article with Rory Mac saying, he, you know, he might test the free market. Yeah, I think there was also an article with Alistair Overeem uh, after before he signed his new long-term contract saying Alistair Overeem might test the free market agency so I think he ruffled up a few feathers with Lorenzo Fertitta anyway yeah I think um, I think the UFC were wrong to ban him but I also think and I'm not saying Ariel was wrong to break the story he got it he says he confirmed that and it turned out to be true so it wasn't just clickbait but I do think with MMA in particular there is this huge penchant this huge want 
to break the news. They want to be the first in there. And sometimes that results in clickbait stories that are useless, really. But Ariel, though, has, he, does no, have, no, he has a 100% record. I know. I'm not saying... It, I don't think it's only exclusive to MMA, though. I think it's the age we live in now no, where is, all journalists yeah. are trying to get the, 100%. Get the scoop. 100% it is, but I just think... And it's easier now to publish the scoop... You know, with well, social media, so news no longer breaks. It tweets, it tweets, yeah. Um, you know, and I think, but I think what maybe caused the UFC to jump. This is what I was getting at. What caused the UFC to jump and react the way they did? There may be the stuff with Lorenzo not being happy with with, with Ariel, but I think it was just they were like, it was a boiling point of frustration where they're going like, we can't. Th- this is potentially the biggest story we're going to have this year, and we can't even break this ourselves. Yeah, yeah. This is a joke. And I think maybe frustration boiled over, and that's what led to him and his colleagues being kicked out. But look, cooler heads have It happens in all walks of life, though, doesn't it? In terms of sport, that that makes no sense. No, but I get no, I get what you mean. Perfect example. Look at Mourinho's appointment at United. Well, yeah, and look at Alex Ferguson down through the years, banning what was at the BBC. Gary Lineker, I think, from uh, questioning after matches and all this sort of stuff. Like because that was over Lineker questioning uh, Ferguson's professional relationship with his sons. Yeah, you know, so stuff like that. You know what I mean? Which fair enough. I'm not saying I, I disagree with Ferguson or Lineker for that matter, but I'm just saying it happens everywhere that, that yeah. somebody somewhere will bear the brunt of somebody's frustration and annoyance and they'll be singled out for it. Like Big time. And uh, I think like instead of UFC have, the UFC having a knee-jerk reaction and saying, here, you're banned for life. I mean, who is... Ariel says that he goes... He'll only publish if he has two sources. So who are the sources? Yeah, who's the, who are the snitches? Who are the snitches? Like, yeah. you know, he did tweet the other day saying, oh, sick of this mole stuff. But I mean... There's somebody telling you the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's you, either uh, Heyman's camp or UFC camp or... Um, you, you can say you're, you're sick of this mouth stuff all you want, but if you're saying you've got two sources who you confirm it with and they have to be high up, yeah, have to be high up. Well, he confirmed, he broke the news about Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor's rematch too. And That's also true. So, so that'll be UFC 202 in August. Yeah. Um, look, ultimately, I, I support Helwani and all this, I want to say. like yeah. I do, but I'm just saying there are two sides to every biscuit. Not three biscuits anymore, Lindsay. But we'll be talking more about UFC 200 anyway because I'll be going to that and I'm dying to talk about it. I'm also going to see Britney Spears and uh, I'll be talking more about Horde Little Doorboard. But yeah, what else have we got in housekeeping, Graham? Well, the weather has been amazing the last while. Yeah. We've had over 10 days of. In a row of just gorgeous weather. That counts as, I believe, one, a heat wave, and two, cause for people to be delusional. Yes. Yeah. The whole thing, because there was one day then where uh suddenly broke for a shower, and it was probably Saturday. Yeah. And there was a thunder, and there was lightning. And yeah. Then people on social media, only in Ireland would you get this. But you get this kind of day and then it rains. You can't plan on only in Ireland, yeah. only in Ireland. The only in Ireland brigade drive me mad. Only in Ireland would you get changeable weather conditions. Yeah, exactly. O- only in Ireland would go from sunny and in rain. Yeah. Okay. Pretty sure it's not only in Ireland. No, I'm fairly certain. We, we, at the end of the day, we, we're an island on the periphery of an ocean. We're going to get changeable weather conditions. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. That's just how life works, lads. I'm fairly certain other islands and other countries that have a coastline on a big old ocean like the Atlantic 
suffer similar fates at times. Oh, look, it's sunny. What's that grey thing up there? <laughs> What's that stuff falling out? You've got to be shitting me. It can't be sunny and raining in the same day. What's going Only in Ireland. Only in Ireland. Only in Ireland. It's just that you see a lot of it, you know, particularly with um, people planning barbecues, you know. Yeah. God forbid, I, I can't have a bloody barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> the rain has to start. Oh, there was great drying out there this morning, and now, look, I have to wash them all again because they're bleeding around. And then hashtag, only in Ireland. Hashtag, lads, give us your hashtag, only in Ireland. What's only in Ireland to you? It's it, there's a, it's the, the whole begrudgery thing as well, isn't it? About there is a huge part of begrudgery in here. Yeah. About, especially when it comes to weather. Did you ever notice how uh, the front page We're of the tabloids... We're obsessed with weather, man. The front page of the tabloid, on, on any day where we get a bit of sun, hotter than Greece. Yeah. Hotter, hotter than Ibiza. Hotter than Ibiza. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, Re- that's that's it, really? <laughs> hotter than Barcelona. Really, lads? That's that's what you want on your front page? Yeah. There's so much going on in the world out there. There's so, so much. But no, no. Let's just remind people that today, because it's 23 degrees here <laughs> yeah. and 21 degrees down there for one day of the year... Forget all the days that they get a sunshine. Just one day. What a day. It, Hotter than Greece. Admittedly, over the last few, few weeks where it has been gorgeous, you'd really feel hard done by if you booked your holidays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I always love a nice day in, in, in Ireland. Like. Oh, yeah. Like, I love it. Like It, it does, it, look, it does wonders. People's mood goes up. You know, people spend more because they're buying ice cream. But part buying, of the reason you know? why you go away to sunnier climates is because we don't get it consistently. We so don't. when you're in we Dublin don't. Airport and you're leaving, you're you're getting begrudgingly <laughs> saying goodbye to 24 <laughs> degrees. You're kind of going on the airport for fuck's sake. Yeah. God, it would be sunny. Only in Ireland would it be sunny when I'm leaving. Yeah. There's another <laughs> thing actually that's begrudging the people yeah. are begrudging. Um, I don't know what you think about it, but as we were, we will be talking about the Euros, um, which have just kicked off. Um, a lot of the Ireland flags. Come on, Ireland. Come on, Ireland. A lot of the Ireland flag uh, fans have been going over with their custom flags, with, for example, quotes of Father Ted, their famous Father Ted quotes. Yeah, I've noticed um, this exploding lately. There's a there's one with a nude Clinton Morrison, and it has vote Clinton number one with the Hillary Clinton stamp on it. Right. Okay. There's another one where, um, Michaela McCollum. The, the yeah, the drug, drug meal. meal. Yeah. It's like, all right, yeah. lads, can I come home for the euros? I packed my own bags, <laughs> you know. And then there was an article in the paper last week where, basically, the author of the article was saying, you know, if we were to get a famous victory, you've got, sorry, you've got fluff in your mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and every every time you talk, it's flickering. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> did you see it there flying I did yeah that was like I'm glad we don't have a guest with us right now that, that, that would have been scarlet man but Sorry, uh, yeah the, the author of the article was basically reflecting on these flags and kind of giving out about the flags right. in the sense that you know it was great in, in, in Euro 88 when we beat England and you could see the scoreboard you know Ireland won England nil and then yeah. beside it there was a tricolour with with him, it's some town down in Mead or somewhere, you know. Whereas this time round, we could have a a famous victory over Italy or Belgium and Sweden, and then a tricolour beside the scoreboard could have Michaela McCullum saying, "What's the story, lads? Uh, can I come to the Euros? I pack my own bags." Or Clinton Morrison's arse, like you know, he was kind of saying, "You know, grow up." I don't know. I when I initially see the, these flags and I haven't seen them for the first time, I do get a chuckle over it. And then sometimes yeah. it's like, ah, here. There, there's some of them that are very funny. This whole like, the face and the flag, you know? Uh, I, I don't point into the face and the flag, to be honest, which I think, um, 
at the end of the day, look. Uh, uh, he was I basically guess, saying no, we've I, gone from we've gone from putting our towns. No, I, on under, flags I understand that. To yeah, and I understand that, and quotes. I get that point, but. I, I don't agree with this whole the face and the flag. I understand that people are going to say, it's what the flag represents, though. <laughs> now, right, look, at the end of the day, it's something that costs three quid and it was made in China. At the end of the, it's a colourful bit of rag, lads. It's not the Irish Republic flag from 1916, like. All right, well, whatever about that, but it's, it, it, more than likely it was made in China or it was made in some sweatshop Taiwan. In, in Far East Asia and Stop getting so high and mighty about it. But what I would say, I do agree with you. There's something that I get a good chuckle about. Like, go back to Euro 2012, the Angela Merkel things are working one. Mm. That was a cracker. That was a cracker. Absolute cracker. Some of the Conor McGregor ones have been very good at the UFC events, yeah, so yeah. in fairness. Um, I've seen one for this that's gone over. Um, it's a father stack. Yeah. Father Ted, and it was like... Uh, a load of lads running around in shorts. If, <laughs> if that's your t- whatever his quote was in that episode, or John Walters one, Johnny's uh, got you covered. Yeah, John, Johnny's got you covered. Yeah. Um, so there are some very clever ones, but then there are some that are absolutely shite as well. Like, mm. and some that are like, what, "Why did you even pay that? That dumb kid? Mm. Why?" Like, that's kind of. Uh, I suppose that's a, also a bit irrelevant to the point. Like, should they? Are they nice? Are they grand? Are they? Yeah. Should Should the author of this article just kind of? get a life yeah i think so because i mean look uh, and this might are sound we are we making a show of ourselves no i don't think that's so. basically his question at the end of it no i don't think so i think this is going to sound almost a little bit out there and i can see why but just work with me here for a minute technology has moved on so the days are just getting a bit of black gaffer tape and taping bally brack across your flag <laughs> like i do have gone <laughs> them days have gone people can now make flags with images embroidered and images scanned into them and all that sort of stuff so that the quality is... So people have the capability to do things that they didn't have all those years ago when you saw about the famous victory against England in Euro 88 or whatever it was. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of have to allow for these sort of things. And yeah, look, I long for the days as well, standing on the terraces after paying two quid for me ticket at an Ireland match next to Davy Kyo on the North Terrace and having that flag, Davy Kyo says hello and getting a Mars bar for holding a flag for him or whatever it was, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Not to eat Mars bars anymore, Lindsay. But like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like those, those sort of simple flags, there still will be some of them. There still will be like rat out boys or... Ballybrack seagulls. All this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, because people are now able to do things that they weren't able to do before... They're going to deal with them. We should have got a what's the story flag and gave the Zambra. We should have. Shitsky. Yeah, we do it for the World Cup. We will because we're going to qualify for that. We're going to qualify for the World Cup, so I've no doubt about it. But um, I don't mind the flags too much, so long as they're not overly ridiculous. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's some of them that, like I said, they give me a chuckle. There's other ones that I think that's just fucking silly. Yeah, but whether you find them humorous or not, you don't care about the idea of it. No, I couldn't be yeah, sure. Exactly. No, yeah. I couldn't. Let let people have to crack. Big deal. Oh, you're worried about what a scoreboard... Come here. I was saying technology's moved on for flags. Technology's moved on for photos as well. If Joseph Stalin could wipe a person out of a photo, your sub-editor or whoever can wipe a flag out of a photo or just replace it with a regular truck. If you're that obsessed about it, use Photoshop, kid. Speaking of photos, did you see the photo I got of the thunderstorm last week? I did, yeah. I meant to congratulate you on that. Shit. Well, I didn't see the photo of the thunder. I seen the photo of the lightning. I'd Sorry, the well. lightning. <laughs> I'd be doing well to see a photo of thunder, Graham. <laughs> I'd be an X-Men if I did. <laughs> I 
<laughs> my cabbage man oh yeah deadly um, speaking of sorry just really quickly just mention the next man there John O'Morty made another funny uh, I was going to send him last week and he said what are you going to say he's like X-Men what's that Bruce Jenner's documentary <laughs> <laughs> John O said that <laughs> classic he's a good lad isn't he um, and myself and Larry were down um, Dunleary and you, Larry how you, Larry and uh we seen the storm, so we start storm chasing. Beautiful. <laughs> so we went to Beautiful. Dalky, uh, just uh, Bullock Harbour, Collymore, yeah. Collymore Harbour, Collymore Harbour, yeah. um, and we were just taking pictures and lucky enough to get that. And then, yeah, we followed the storm. There's loads of people out. This is like half ten, yeah. eleven o'clock at night, and uh, Larry got a great video where the lightning happened, and then uh, some man shouts, "Oh, Jesus, get up out of that!" <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> and we didn't realise it at the time. It was only when we were watching back. But the photos, all around there is very picturesque. Have you seen um, Kieran Tresson photography on Facebook? Um, I haven't. But you I should have, check it out. There's a few of them. I know um, there's another Kieran actually. Kieran Chuk photography and JK photography. John Cars. Um, the two lads in fairness also do. And the local lads as well. Yeah, as, the is, three, as is yeah. Tresson. Yeah. Um, um, Kieran's are great, man. He's taking some yeah. great pictures. Yeah, but check out the all the Kieran Tresson photography on Facebook. Uh, Tresson photography on Facebook. Do yeah, book support lads. Um, even if they are only going out there with their camera and taking pictures, still yeah. see what is. Not saying they're lazy. The, pic- <laughs> the, pic- <laughs> the picture I took. Uh, some lad in work goes to me. Uh, <laughs> some lad goes. What type of Nikon was that? Was this? What is it? An SLR? I was like, what? He goes the the camera you have for the lightning photograph. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Samsung No Four. <laughs> <laughs> it's only bleeding mobile it's me mobile bud now what I mean mobile. fair play to you for taking it with your phone Graham well done Samsung Cheers technology huh? Technology. Samsung no far bud what are we even laughing at what are we even laughing at right look housekeeping's done what do you say we talked to Alan Gernon about his book yes retired what happens to footballers when the game is up it's a good book it's on in it's online and it's in all good bookshops <laughs> Do check it out, lads. We're going to talk to Alan next. We're joined now by Alan Gernon, comedian, sports writer for Boyle Sports. He's been a football manager addict, as we all have. <laughs> uh, fell victim of that many a time during <laughs> my college years. And uh, more recently, he's been doing the rounds nationally and across the water. On uh, Talk Sport, he was on Keys and Grey. He's been on with George Hook. He's been on Today FM. All over the place promoting this one, and rightfully so. Um, his book is called Retired, and it's it's something that I never even thought about. What happens to footballers when the game is up? Alan, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, lads. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this, man, because it's it's fascinating. Um, it's always first and foremost, you're, you're a football man. You, you've, you've been a football fan all your life. You're, you're mad yeah. into it. Um what made you come up with this concept for the book? Uh, it was a few things, really. As you said, I, I've written about football for a few papers here in Boyle Sports. I wrote, wrote an article a few years ago on how how Premier League retired footballers end up bankrupt, which sort of shocked me. Like I think it was David James that week went bankrupt to you oh, know, yeah, remember, oh, yeah, yeah, was there in millions, like, and he was an Armani model and all sorts, but he resorted to, like, auctioning off chainsaws and Opel Astra vans and crazy stuff like this. So I was like, I was wondering, how how could you lose all that? So um wrote that article and then sort of opened my eyes to, like, what else can happen to them? And I was around the same age. Like, it's in the book. Freddie Lundberg was born the same week as me. 
and he retired and like I say in the book like I don't know about yourselves but when there's players still younger than you're the same age you're still sort of deluded that geez you know I might still play football for fast you know, this sort of thing, you <laughs> the know? dream doesn't die like yeah it's stupid but it does die when everyone's younger than you playing and even managers younger than you but it was that sort of thing and then I was looking through old sticker albums and you know from the early 90s and stuff and like maybe 16 players on each team and just only one or two maybe still in the public eye as a manager or as a pundit or something so I just wondered what you know what happens to the rest and I'm just a typical lad that you know, you might have had a sticker of, you might have picked last in your fantasy football team. You know, not the ones who make it on TV, but just a typical player. Like, what, what's become of the rest of them or what can happen to them? So I suppose it was all those sort of angles and mainly because it hadn't been done. Like, because after I wrote that article, I started looking for books on it and there's nothing really. Like, there's only, you know, individual autobiographies which might list one problem whether it be alcoholism or gambling or something like that but there was none really sort of looking at everything and piecing it all together if you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I suppose when you were going through it like because even from from the bits I've read so far I haven't read it all because I'm going away soon and it's kind of yeah. do you know when you're enjoying something you're like do you know what no that, that's something I'm going to read in the plane that'll keep you going yeah, yeah, yeah. were you as surprised when you are researching it, as I am reading it, some of the facts and figures that you're finding with this, like? Initially, before I even sort of wrote it, I had, with the publishers, I sort of broken down each chapter and what it would entail. So it sort of looked into it before even contacting a footballer. So I went into it with my eyes sort of half open. Mm. Um, but, like, some of the individual stories, like, it's all right having stats, but then when you speak to the players and, you know, find out why these things happen it's it's more shocking i suppose than just numbers on a page if you know what i mean and uh alan just you know you're saying there that um when the idea first came to your head you were kind of looking for books already published and you couldn't find any it was was that do you think that's a because of reluctance of the players to come forward yeah maybe I, i think some of the problems like yeah possibly there's some things that you know that are only sort of becoming more prevalent now. Even like the the uh, mental health issues have been. You know, someone when I was researching the book, I can't remember who it was. who said there was no mental health issues in the old days. It was you just drank or you know gambled or something, which you know was just masking problems. But this sort of stuff just coming to the fore, and you know, just been a lot of these bankruptcies just in the last few years. I think in the old days, players didn't earn enough to invest in crazy schemes and things like that where you know they might have went bankrupt they might have had to get another job when they retired but you know they didn't lose at all so i suppose it it's just the timing of it it's all sort of come together like a lot of a lot of the issues but yeah i think again yeah players i don't i don't really don't know why i haven't been done like as i said yeah there's autobiographies even paul mcgrath's or paul merson's and keith gillespie's where you know they're looking at one or two issues and their own stories but yeah i was surprised it hadn't been done because it seemed obvious enough when when you look into it you know what i mean yeah they're, they're quite revealing books there the books that you mentioned yeah particularly yeah. uh paul mcgrath's yeah. um more closer to home most recently uh shamrock rover striker mikey drennan um, oh yeah, yeah he he kind of came out so to speak and with his mental health and he's taken a step back um from football until you know he, he can recover so, I mean, hopefully more will follow suit in that sense. Did you find, what, what, what were the mental health kind of statistics you found? 
with Rizzo. Yeah, I, I was surprised when I read about Mickey Drennan because it seems to be uh, it's it, it seems to be hard to not admit, but you know to to reveal this sort of thing in a dressing room. Players I spoke to said like. You know, you can hide, you can't really hide a leg injury or, you know, an arm injury, a groin injury. But if you have problems in your head, you sort of, and you, and you mention it, that, you know, everyone will pounce on them, you know, whether it's opposition fans or even your teammates and manager, you know, they're wondering, can they, can they trust this guy? So most of the people who have come out with mental health issues have waited until retirement. And even the PFA stats, I think, um, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it's seventy or eighty percent of people who access their nationwide network of counselors are retired rather than current players. So typically, the issues will be learning to cope with, you know, just coming to terms with you know, almost going from hero to zero overnight. So they're, you know, they're Danny or Graham or Alan, the footballer from maybe the age, age of eight, and suddenly at thirty-five, they're just. Danny or Graham, you know, and it's 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 handling that and losing the buzz and the camaraderie of the dressing room. The you know, the, the, a lot of players liken it to you know military life where everything's done for them for twenty years. You know, yeah. nowhere to go, what to eat, given their passports at the airport, and then suddenly overnight they're sitting at home, getting under the wife's feet, and they don't know how to do anything basically, and coping with, you know, for 20 years they may have been, you know, courted by the media in a sort of group dynamic with lads their own age playing for a certain a same goal and then it, it ends and, you know, they're almost left feeling at, sorry for themselves at home trying to replicate the buzz which leads to further issues with drink or drugs or gambling or addiction. So that that's that's what I find tends to be the most common theme. A lot of the, some stats from FIFA Pro where they're... Uh, the world um, or the international organization for players similar to PFA but worldwide suggests it's it's more common in retirement if you've suffered uh, major injuries during your career or maybe if you haven't reached the potential you might have you might have felt you could have you know if you shuttle down the leagues or you just don't make it to the top like that sort of can you know a lot of what you said there is kind of uh, anytime I've seen a, an interview with a sober Paul Gascoigne, it kind of resonates with with his story and, and how he kind of just went into the black hole and he was kind of yeah he was he was on the high and then one minute you know he's down at a lake in Newcastle with a cooked chicken and a couple of cans and a fishing rod, rod for rail yeah. mouth you know he was talking about being at the ultimate high and trying to trying to replicate that after football and he just seemed like a lost soul there was nothing there for him yeah a couple of people mentioned him and saying that he just misses football so much and he, he can't find anything to replace it so that seems to be the common problem and again sometimes if the if the career ends early like all the players nearly to man i spoke to um had this milestone at 35 in their head so if they reached that they were happy with it um, but then if, if their career ended prematurely through injury, um, you know, at 25 or 29 or whatever, it, it t- took them quite a while to deal with it, you know, in some cases a decade or more. Um, so that's another aspect of it as well, where, you know, they have it in the back of their heads that, you know, going out in the pitch, this could be their last game ever, but they never know really when it is. So a few players I spoke to, who his careers ended prematurely, like they, they sort of had these regrets, and 
that this I think one of them said they'll haunt them that you know they didn't know when their when their last game was you know and they they couldn't they couldn't deal with that for a while so there's all sorts of stuff going on that I think lead to these mental health issues but it's mainly I think that loss of identity and coming to terms with that and a lot of people mentioned this bereavement process where you know you're sort of grieving for this life you had that you'll never get back so you're playing football from the age of five and until 35 and then that's it and it takes them a while there's a different stages of the grieving process I think is similar to what they all go through. You mentioned the injuries there Alan as well and one of the things that uh, I seen pop up was the mention of what is I don't mean this in a bad way or anything like that, but flavour of the month, CTE and concussion. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you're talking about injury, I suppose, everybody's aware of, you know, you get the players who have had their cruciates done or they've had a bad leg injury or whatever, and, you know, that one's the obvious one. But then when you see something like CTE popping up and you think, hang on, this is soccer, this is football. The CTE is something I've only heard about in American football and yeah, yeah. loosely associated to rugby and boxing. What what what's going on there? You know, so the long term injuries then that will get you down the road. That's that's even a scary aspect in it. Like, yeah, it's something I never considered from someone like you know you grow up playing football and you don't no second thoughts about heading the ball or whatever even as a kid. But I spoke to a lot of experts on it, and you know even some of them doctors were saying that you know for years it was seen. He spoke to rugby people and it was seen as an American football problem, and now he's speaking to football people, you see it as a rugby problem and. He sort of likens it to the, you know, the tobacco companies in the sixties or fifties saying, you know, there's no problem with smoking. Like, but yeah, yeah there seems to be like the, I spoke to Jeff Astle's widow, who I don't know if you you remember him. He's before West my Brown, time as a player, but I remember him from Fantasy Football League with Badil and Skinner. Like he was a West yeah, Brom that's forward right, yeah. in the late sixties, scored a winning goal in the sixty-eight. I think it was sixty-eight or sixty-nine cup final. Yeah, maybe Graham is. Graham is a massive West Brom fan, so... Yeah, he scored some amount. He scored as many goals for West Brom in as many games as Rooney has for United. Like, so... Yeah. I think most of them were with his head. So, like, he, he... His wife spoke about... He used to do these skits on, you know, fancy football, the Dion Skinner's fancy football, and rehearse a song, and he was starting to forget them. And, you know, she thought... She didn't really think anything of it at first. She just thought he was overworked. He was only 55. Mm-hmm. And um, then he got more and more. He got more and more forgetful, and suddenly, like the the doctor said, "Look, we we think he's got early onset dementia." And as soon as she heard it was something to do with the brain, she knew it was from heading a ball. Like he it's said, every man. every training session, just everything was aimed at his head. Every game was aimed at his head. Mm. So it took years for it finally to be, you know, announced that it was you know it was an industrial illness he died from. It was basically from heading the ball, but. I think the FA swept it under the carpet and it just took yeah. this justice for Jeff campaign that they established and you know West Brom fans would go to every game with the banner and other fans whoever they're playing would join in mm. but it was scary stuff you know because it's been banned for under 10s in America heading the ball and yeah you know I was speaking to Jeff Assel's widow and I was on the phone so long for her. I was late collecting my daughter from school so I got there and there's a teacher waiting with her, and I thought I was in trouble. Jeez, I'm late, you know. But she said, "Oh no, yeah, she's uh, she got hit with a head, hitting the ball, hit on the head with a ball earlier, and like it was the worst possible time." In Jesus, yeah. I've been on the phone for an hour and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas the day before, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. Oh, yeah. So it did change my perception of that totally, you know. And I, 
I can see, you know, why the Americans have, have banned it now. But, mm. you know, it's not even at the head to ball. I think from speaking to experts as well, there's a lot of the issues with um, concussions and sub-concussive events or like head to elbow or head to ground or head yeah. to head stuff. So it's definitely like, and they admit themselves, they can't really, you know, the CTE thing, it, it, because other people suffer with early onset dementia at an early age, it's really uncommon. So they can't 100% say that it's linked, but... Yeah, it, it, I think it's it, pretty obvious, and, and even the header, heavy letter ball has been blamed from the sixties and seventies. But there's players, um, people said to me that have have had the sort of symptoms that you know never played with that ball. Who played mm-hmm. in a more modern era, so it's a bit of a red herring as well. But it, yeah, it was a real eye opener that sort of section. Yeah, um, I suppose whatever about the guys who retire due to injury after having a career, but then. You also touch on kind of the, the younger players who they get into the youth system, they might get a handful of games here or there, and then they get kind of, oh, we're not going to renew the contract, or we're not going to give you the big contract. And they're left in kind of what they'd been banking on. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, it's not even them, it's their parents as well have been banking on it, I think. But um, yeah, there's some figure from XPro who are a charity set up to sort of um, assist and help out down on the luck ex players. That um, if you're playing with a professional team, or if you're signed as a scholar with a professional team in the UK at 16, you have a two percent chance of still playing at 21. So, you know, it's a two, huge two percent, two percent chance. So, like, a, I wrote an article yesterday in the Telegraph there, and it was like of the England, you know, the England under 21s won the two long tournament last week. So it was 20 in the squad. So there's another 980 lads who, you know, five years ago may have been playing with them and they're that's crazy. They're on the scrap heap, basically. Absolutely. So, yeah, crazy. It's, yeah, it's it's incredible. And, like, these guys have been, you know, the best player in their school or town or whatever, as you said, have had pinned all their hopes on this. And you know, typically they'll have little education or anything to fall back on then. Um, so, again, that's they seem to be the ones that, like, there's a chapter in prison. So mm. I think there's up to 150 I think was the latest figures, ex-footballers in the British penal system, and most of them, 90% of them are under 25, so it's these lads who might have been earning, you know, eight, nine hundred a grand, two grand a week, and then they're let go in their late teens, early 20s, and they're trying to, you know, they've seen all the, the Range Rovers in the car park, they've seen all the, you know, the trappings of wealth, I suppose, that, that the first team or even reserves have, and they want to maintain it. And yeah. it's the drug option seems to be the, the one. Ninety percent of them uh, are in for drug offences. So, again, from speaking to ex-pro, they conduct prison visits with all these young lads, and typically it'll be just courier and drugs. So they don't actually take them. So they're you know they get a grand or fifteen hundred quid to courier drugs from, for example, Newcastle to Nottingham or something like that. So they might do one or two of them a week. Jeez. And it's just a way of maintaining their, I suppose, what they're earning from football. Um, because, you know, the, the education they have, they're way below what their classmates or contemporaries would yeah. have because they've been in the football system for so long, I suppose. And in the process of the research on that, Alan, who did, sorry, the, in terms of the footballers that you would have made contact in that with, was there anybody who kind of, terrible pun but they were like an open book where they just gave you the information and 
they were kind of happy that somebody was actually documenting what happens next for these guys. Yeah, I think most of them were. Like, like some of them were for specific areas and some just spoke about retirement and it sort of slotted into various chapters, but none were really guarded about it. Um, There's a few didn't wish to be named because of, you know, it might have been financial or divorce reasons or things like that. So, yeah. But no, most of them were, were quite open about it. And, you know, I went into it with just a couple of players' phone numbers in my phone. So, yeah, sort of starting from scratch. It was great that they were they were so open, and a few of them may have had stuff that out there in the public domain already. But a lot of it was, I don't think some of them had really spoken about retirement or its effect on them before. So may may have helped them. I'm not sure, but it was it was an eye opener looking at you know sort of commonality of stuff between a lot of them, mainly that loss of identity and getting to grips with you know transitioning to the real world, I suppose, or normal life when they when they quit. Yeah, and somebody like, um, take take David Bentley for example. Um, yeah, he was a guy who retired quite young. Um, did he make it? Did he come over here and play GAA for a little bit or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to him for a chapter. Like, it was a bit of doom and gloom, right? So I, I looked at a chapter on, you know, Pat Nevin had said to me that, um. You know, if football's all you got. When it ends, you're you're, you're sort of stuffed. Um, so he suggested, you know, you need another passion, running alongside football when when you're playing because, you know, football can end at any time. You need something else to keep you occupied when you finish. So I looked at other players who, you know, the ones who quit early, that always intrigued me, like the likes of David Bentley and there's an Irish keeper, Shane Supple, who he was at Ipswich under um, Roy Keane. He's at Crumlin United now. Yeah, he could yeah. be. He played for Dublin Ga. Uh, he played for one of the. Is it St Bridges or St Brides or something? Played for. He won a county championship, I think, in goals for them recent, in the last couple of years. But could be playing again. But he 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 quit. He just. I just don't think he liked the whole professional football setup. But I spoke yeah. to him and David Bentley, who said he never felt like a footballer. Like he quit in his late twenties, but he said to me that. From 18, he was having doubts that, you know, this, the whole, he put all the shit that goes along with football, whether it's, you know, out having a glass of wine and you're in the papers or people taking photos of you or the whole money thing and agents and all the all the shit that goes along with it, basically. He said he just yeah. been treated like a piece of meat in the transfer market, all this sort of stuff. And there's another guy, Espen Bardson, who was a Norwegian goalie with Spurs and he quit when he's 24, 25 as well. So I was intrigued as to why these lads did it and um also looking at chapter guys who have a fresh start so that as pat nevin said so people who had another passion whether it was you know, there was a player there former sunderland player who became an artist there's another guy who's in a, a band there's a guy who became a vicar like all, all these sort of things but <laughs> it was really just it's crazy like it really just yeah. to show that they're the ones who, who dealt with it best because they did something else like lee bowyer the Remember the Leeds guy? Yeah, yeah. He uh, runs a fishing lake in France now, and he's happy out of it. He always fished from when he was a kid, and had plans in his head head to buy a fishing lake when he retired. So it was really That's, yeah. That that one's a bit random because normally, I suppose, even from my point of view, coming at it from a very ignorant point of view as well, yeah. I might add. But uh, you just presume I either go into coaching or punditry, or you yeah. have your millions made. You know what I mean? So to hear a vicar or a fishing lake somewhere in France, 
it's kind of what how are they what you know what i mean yeah but you still need to fill i think it's sixteen thousand days like if if you're tired average age of retirement is 35 the average um lifespan of a male in the uk is 79 so i think i figured out it was like you have sixteen thousand days after you quit to fill and like you have to fill them with something you like i think gary neville said it in that remember the documentary with salford city yeah yeah um, mm. That you better you better fill that hole with something you like because you know what you had you liked or you know so is that the responsibility might, then uh, Alan of the, of, the, of the clubs that they're with or because I know a, a friend of ours a friend of our show uh, Pat Flynn he played with Wolverhampton Wanderers yeah um, he went over at sixteen and they offered him you know education he wanted to know more about Irish history. He wanted to learn the Irish language yeah. and they provided that. But they only provided it for maybe a year and then it was kind of just put in the back burner a bit. So yeah. is it the club's responsibility? It's particularly at a young age if lads from Ireland are going over at 16. I think the, the clubs do and it's 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 getting better. But um, like for financial, for financial advice and things like that, a lot of people said to me like the club should be doing more. But the players didn't. Like they felt like why should they? In any other industry, you wouldn't be getting financial advice off your employers and yeah. things like that. But I think the clubs sort of, they don't invest too much in players because they could be sold the next day or could leave the next day. So they tend to pass the book on until there is no club, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's really the PFA do quite a lot in that area. So they'll offer training and coaching, in, whether it's in manage, it's staying in the game or whether you want to do sports science or or things like that, but there just isn't enough jobs to go around. Like, and mm. you know, I think seventy percent of the PFA's members want to stay in the game when they quit. But like, there's only ninety-two clubs and ninety-two managers' jobs, and I think ex-pros figures are sixty thousand ex-footballers in the UK and Ireland. So, it's you can it's, see how it's just crazy. It. Sorry, for, continue. Sorry, I cut across it. Yeah, you can see how you can <laughs> see how they don't all get a job. You know? Yeah, well, it, even I mean, if they do. Sorry, even if they do, like the average average managerial span is like a year or something, and then fifty percent of them don't get a second job. So it's not a great career to be going into. A year if you're really. lucky. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and it's only the elite few will make much money from it. Somewhat, a guy I interviewed for the book who's a he's a, a tutor or a lecturer on the pro license course. He suggested that fifty percent of the managers in League Two aren't even getting paid; they're just trying to get a way back into the game. So it's, it's not. Jesus. It's not even uh, just from research, and it's not something I'd be rushing into if I was a player, unless it's something you're really passionate about. Because you could train, you could get all your badges, which take a good few years themselves, get a job, lose it within nine months, and never get another one. So you know, it's <laughs> precarious enough. It, it's the the stats are sc- so scary. Even like, you know, the, the divorce. The divorce one really stood out to me. Um, tour de footballers get divorced within a year of retiring, and seventy five percent within three years. Yeah, that is bizarre. I know that was the one that shocked me most going into it. And you know, I would have probably thought that's financial reasons. You know, it's wags and you know, people money grabbing and things like that. But that wasn't really the case. It was again that. The players, you know, who have had everything done for them, and it's the, that transition overnight, you know, again from hero to zero, getting under the wise feet. Um, I likened it to this. There's this condition in Japan, retired husband syndrome, which 
wives in Japan tend to get when their husbands <laughs> oh retire God. and nearing retirement. So they're salary men who are away a lot of the time, hardly know their wives. Suddenly they retire and the two of them are, it's like living with strangers almost. So yeah. it's sort of because of that. It's like this loss of identity and the wife is often looking forward to him retiring so you know he can spend normal family life together, but she doesn't realize that she has to help him with this transition into back into the real world. So it causes a lot of trouble. So more so than financial reasons, it seems to be that loss of identity and struggle with that, which again, they may try and replace that buzz with drink or drugs or gambling or whatever. And that can just, you know, cause more problems in the marriage, I suppose. But yeah, it's a shocking stat. And was one I was a bit skeptical of going into, but it, seem to be from speaking to divorce lawyers who specialize in footballers' divorces and players who are divorced within 12 months and ex-wives of ex-players, it seemed to be pretty spot on, to be honest. Alan, is is this going to sort of taint your watching of the Euros now when you see so many older lads lining up who you know haven't got long <laughs> left? Are you going to be worried about them? Like, yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's funny, yeah. I find myself looking at lads now and going, Jesus, yeah, because like you look at a team and it's like, well, a third of them will be divorced, you know. When it's when you put when you put it like <laughs> I that, laugh you know, at that. Sorry. And and like, I think almost the ha- it's forty percent, but almost the half of players face to try to bankruptcy within five years. So I read something from Niall Quinn recently where he's trying to help players as well, and he's saying to them, "Well, which half do you want to be in? Do you know what I mean?" So yeah. yeah. Um, it is shocking, and a lot of the players probably haven't thought about it. Like in, in the book, a few players have spoke to themselves, and others may have mentioned teammates that didn't consider retirement until the day it happened, I suppose, and uh, burying their heads in the sand, and you know they mm. don't want to admit that it's going to come to an end. So, yeah. And even the younger players, like they're, they're told, by, they're warned by the older pros, you know, like, enjoy this because it goes like it goes in a flash you know yeah. they're 22 or 3 thinking yeah right 35 is a lifetime away but and then they're the ones telling younger lads I think it was Matt Holland said this to me like they're suddenly they find themselves giving this advice to younger players who are brushing it off as well like so there's a lot of this burying their heads in the sand about the whole thing and yeah. you know the PFA and Max Pro and things that that can do as much as they want but there does seem to be a certain section of players that don't want to don't want to think about it the book certainly is is getting a lot of attention. As we mentioned, you've you've been doing a lot of media for it as well, and you mentioned yeah. Noel Quinn there. I seen you were. It was at the House of Commons or the House of Lords. You were over there with Noel yeah, Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell he, us a bit about that. Yeah, he um, you heard an interview I did on um, Today FM with Neil Delamar actually, and he's been he's very passionate about these uh, these areas because he, he, he recently said that, you know, he suffered depression himself when he retired. Um, so he's, 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 um, chairman of a new organization who, uh, amongst their many, many, uh, things that they do will be sort of trying to prevent these issues rather than deal with them afterwards. So, um, he was launching it over in the house of Lords. He invited me over, um, and read out the, the blurb from the back of the book as to what exactly he was trying to do and what exactly he was trying to combat. So it was a great, great day. He'd, uh, Richie Sadlier with him as well, who is in the book a bit as well. He retired 23 or 4, I think it was, um, just when he broke into the Ireland squad. So 
he had some issues dealing with that as well. Um, and he's a counsellor now as well as his RTE punditry stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was deadly. Like, he, uh, he's been a good advocate for the book. He's pushed it on a few other radio shows and things like that. And yeah. So it's great to have someone like that. And there's a few other players who've read it who, who've thought it's great. So it's great to get, you know, that sort of feedback from people who've lived it, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. Um, if we can maybe just move a little bit away from the book, I suppose, and talk, obviously, you, you write for Boyle Sports as well in kind of the wider sports context. Yeah. Um, you're a massive football fan. So I suppose we'll, we'll talk to you a little bit about the Euros. Yeah. W- what do you fancy for Ireland's chances? Do, do you think that Sweden game is going to be kind of what we hinge everything on? I don't know. I, just looking at it today, the, the Italian squad don't look great. Mm. Now, I suppose it didn't look great four years ago either. In the yeah. Beatles, but, um, I don't. It's it's they really hard play. to predict. Uh, like we've a much better chance, obviously. This it's not as tough a group as four years ago, and plus there's a yeah. chance of finishing in third and getting through. So, you know, I'd be. Although after the Belarus game, I was slightly optimistic when I saw that, but it was a bit of a B team, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't um, exactly the the kind of top drawer you'd expect. No, anyway, no. Like. No, I, I don't know. There's always some shocks and a few strange results. So, you know. What did you make of Roy's comments after the Belarus game? Just blow them over or should we look into them? Uh, I wasn't surprised by Roy coming out with stuff like that. I know <laughs> it's not typically what a manager or assistant manager will say in public about players, but I think he's a fair point. I don't know what the players would think about it, though, but uh, was it... Who was it? Specifically, Aiden, McGeady, yeah. Aiden McGeady, yeah. About it, but particularly as they've signed a new contract and he stuck with him for another two years. <laughs> another two years yeah. I don't know. I think it was fair enough. Like it was a desperate performance for players who were playing for a place in the team and the plane. Like so, I don't know. I think think was, do you think the comments like that will affect the camp, or do you think because we hear a lot about the the great team spirit and. Um, Richard Keogh came out this week and said that uh, Martin O'Neill's man management skills are just superb. Do you think comments like that would have, will affect the camp? I, possibly, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Like maybe it's a good cop, bad cop sort of thing with O'Neill and Keane. I don't know. But um, if, if it was McGeady, I'd be obviously wouldn't be happy. But you know, it might also motivate the players to book their act up. Like it was, you know, most of the players on the pitch got chosen didn't they and like they might play at some stage so it might be the kick up the arse they needed yeah well we're talking about McGeady here as well he was a player who was uh, shipped off to Sheffield Wednesday on loan and then Sheffield Wednesday didn't want them for their playoff final do you know what I mean so yeah yeah. Uh, I think I think some of the comments were like quite factual but I mean I think there could be a time and a place to say them yeah, I suppose. I suppose it. I was actually in England when it happened, so I didn't hear much, that much about it. But um, I suppose it's only really made the news because it happened so little, isn't it? Like the manager, assistant manager will come out and slate their own players after a game. But I suppose, yeah, it can go either way motivate them or demotivate them. We'll see you next week, I suppose. It better motivate them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Giddy will start anyway, isn't it? No, I can't see him starting anyway. Um, who do you fancy for for the tournament overall, Alan? I don't know. I was looking at the odds again today, and it, no one had really bet on with like France three to one and things like that. I'd be looking at 
like other markets, like the assists market and even Ireland top scorer, like Robbie Brady there is 12 to 1. Like Ireland typically, like was it, did he score one goal the last tournament? Yeah, Sean St. Ledger. Ledger, yeah. Yeah, so like it could be just one goal or two goals in OG or something like that. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And Robbie Brady 12 to 1, Ireland top goal scorer. <laughs> there's, there's a assist market as well, like with, much better odds in top goal scorer markets. So like you pay eighteen to one, Pogba twenty to one, things like that. Um yeah. there's a, I don't know what what do you make of uh, dark horses? Who do you fancy? Yeah, I don't know. Because, again I was looking at it and I was kinda of saying, well with this whole, you know, third place going through as well, it it allows for the dark horse option. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um I don't know, I kinda of fancy Russia to do a bit better than people are thinking. They're in England's group, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they play yeah. England in the opening game. But the time this goes out, actually, they'll have played England. Oh, yeah. Um, They'd have beaten England. So you look, your predictions will look brilliant. Or <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was reading, actually, the other day that England have never won their opening game of the Euros. They've so. never won a knockout game either, apart from on penalties. Well, <laughs> well in the Euros. Yeah. So, so like, um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know why... I think Russia will be a decent bet. I don't think um, I don't think France will win it. I really don't. No, so. I can see they always they always have one dodgy result. I think in the group, even if they, like I think in the last seven or eight tournaments they've they flopped in half the groups. I know they're yeah. at home this time, but I fancy a shock in their group, and I'm gonna stick my neck out for Albania. Albania. Albania for the shot out of that group. Like they drew with France twice in the last year, albeit in friendlies, and they beat Portugal in qualifying, finished above with Denmark. Yeah, yeah. And they're sort of tight at the back. They won't score many goals. They're twenty-eight to one to win France's group. Jesus, yeah. If by the Euro, if I was given a Euro bet, like free on the Euros, I'd just probably throw on that just for the crack. Yeah. You but but listeners don't take me up on that. <laughs> you go out and buy their jersey from. Yeah, they're probably like finished bottom now. But I just, I was sort of following them in uh, in qualification because they were doing better than they'd done before and they beat Portugal and things like that. Yeah. They seem to do all right. Like it would be interesting seeing new teams like that in it. And obviously, you'd be great with Northern Ireland, Wales, as well as Ireland and England. So. Yeah, yeah true. Good interest for the home nations anyway. Um, yeah. I, I, I would love to see all of them going far. I'd love to see Northern Ireland do well. It's their first time they've ever qualified the Euros, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember the, I'm old enough to remember the last World Cup there in 86. I just sort of started following football, so it's yeah. been a long time. Yeah, 27 years. Yeah. 30, 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. I was about yeah. to say, hang on a second. 2016, oh, yeah. yeah. I was trying to I was trying to work it out from my own age there. I was counting backwards and everything it wasn't working for me. <laughs> yeah, um, Norman Whiteside was a twenty one year old or something like that. Jesus. Mad. And we talked about your um football manager days. were you like Danny? Danny used to get to the final and football manager and he'd put a paddy cap on and a long trench coat jacket yeah, at home with the suit. computer. <laughs> Would that be you? Would he be shaking the like doorknob and things like that as uh, Opposition manager, and no. I'd, uh, I'd pause for the national anthem, or uh, I'd play the Champions League music on my phone. <laughs> oh, no, I never went that far. But uh, I did, I was hooked on it, like, probably Championship Manager 0102, like I'd done Dawkins Champions League finals with... Was that, with the, Edgar, was that the Edgar red or the blue disc? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I bought them every year, but it was yeah. the one I stuck with. Like, I but, think it was the same. I think I found a, a Javier Saviola one year, oh, and, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. thought I was the greatest footballing brain on the planet. <laughs> just there are so many. Do you have actually just? I know this one's a random one, but do you have like a, a favorite sort of football manager legend from when he used to play? Yeah, uh, Robert Prozanecki for Dundalk. <laughs> he was Clare coach and he was 42 or 3 or something and he <laughs> banged in the goals it was amazing <laughs> and uh, Carlton Palmer like yeah. in midfield they were all in their late 30s or 40s like he signed lads on huge signing on fees and paid them 200 quid a week or something <laughs> and I used to always wonder like signing Keane and gigs and all this it wasn't cheating or anything, it was just paying him huge signing on fees and wondering, yeah. where will all these live in the dock? There isn't enough. <laughs> but, yeah, I was addicted, but I've no time for it anymore. I found the latest ones quite hard and time consuming. So Yeah, there's, there's a bit too, it's like they've gone too far into the, yeah. you're an actual manager. Like beforehand, now I used to, like, I, I, I genuinely, I'd, you know, skip classes in college or I'd go sick from secondary school. Yeah. Uh, probably contributed to me having to repeat the leaving cert of that pity there wasn't a question about football manager on the paper like but yeah. they were great at all games um, there was two deadly uh, it was a Tomadira and Joe Paiva or something they were made up two Portuguese lads did sign for anyone for free at the start <laughs> and they'd score 50 goals a season each which was yeah was that's really, the G oh, yeah there was a few I remember I used to always sign uh, I think it's that Bo- Bojan Jordic I think he was in the United Youth Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I always used to sign him as well. He was brilliant. He used to develop into a cracker of a little player. Speed <laughs> one, I think. Still, he had... He's still knocking round. There was two of them lads signed for United, didn't they? And yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just on United. You're a United fan. Are you happy with the Mourinho situation? <sighs> I don't really. Um, <laughs> it'll be a bit. Of, it'll be a bit of crack. Put it that way. Like you know, yeah. probably end in tears. But look. I suppose it can't be much worse than it has been over the last couple of years anyway, can it? Yeah, it can't, well, can't really get any worse, but it's not, he's not someone who I would have been clamouring for, it's not someone who I would have said, you can't have someone that came at the club, so, you yeah. know, see what happens. As I said, it'll be a bit of crack. Who 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 would you have preferred, though? Uh, say, who would you have preferred at the time Fergie retired? Ah, uh, look, there's no point asking me that, because I was thinking along the lines of Solskjaer, so... that? <laughs> 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 A lot of uh, people were thinking Solskjaer, though, weren't they? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, but, like, he, he, who did he even end up with? Was it Cardiff? Um, yeah, yeah, he, he went Cardiff, Cardiff yeah. yeah. That was a bad move, like, he, he was sort of earning his reputation in Norway, but um, who would have liked then? I can't, I can't even remember back who was available. I suppose Pochettino this time might have been a good option, but they missed out in Guardiola, obviously, so... Yeah, I suppose it's the best of what they could have got, isn't it? Well, the Pochettino was actually in Dublin recently looking at Shane Long. That'd be a great move for Long, wouldn't it? To Tottenham. Yeah, although I think they were in talks with some Dutch lads today as far as Janssen, striker. So I think they're actually looking at him as well. Was it, was, or is it the Holland game? Yeah, he was, sorry. Yeah, he was at the Holland game. Yeah, so um, I think they've actually they've actually signed the opposition striker from that night. So. Oh no! Or they're they're going. To, so yeah, he they, wasn't looking at Long then. Well, he could have been, and then the other guy caught his eye. Who knows? Because uh, Cumin now just in Dublin for the crack. Who knows? They've <laughs> not gone to Coppers. Yeah, um, Cumin was uh, has gone to Everton now, so they're they're linking Long to Everton. Oh yeah, might be all right move. Yeah. 
I wouldn't. I don't know why Tim went to Everton, but no, either do I. You know, no, yeah, I think it was. I think it was just the almighty pound there that got him. Sideways move, really. Yeah, more or less. Um, well, look, Alan, thanks for joining us. Uh, the book is retired. What happens to footballers when the game is up? It's available online and in all good bookshops. Alan, before we let you go, though, if people want to follow you on Twitter or if they want to uh, check out some of your writing for Boyle Sports, where can they do that? Um, my Twitter is Alan Gernon. So, at Alan Gernon. A-L-A-N-G-E-R-N-O-N. Perfect, perfect. Well, look, we wish you well with the book. It's fascinating. It's it's not something I was um, expecting. Some of the statistics in it are just mind-blowing. So, lads, if you are heading away on holiday, definitely pick it up. But, Alan, listen, thanks for your time, man. All the best with everything. Thanks, lads. Thanks for having thanks, me Thanks, Alan. Take care, Alan. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Brilliant. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. So brilliant. interesting. Um, as, you, as you said earlier, some of the statistics, statistics in it are just... Mind-blowing. Mind They're all blowing. north of a hundred, like... Yeah. North of 50%. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's like 70, 75%. Yeah. 90% of under 25s go to prison. What the hell? That's crazy. Well, no. What? Yeah. Oh, sorry. 90% of the footballers in prison are under 25. Under 25, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I thought you said something else there for a second. I was like, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. the pony. Um, yeah, check out Alan's stuff, lads. Honestly, it's brilliant. And check out his online stuff if you um, go on to Boyle Sports onto their blogs. He's a regular contributor. But I'm there. Two, um, Ireland are kicking off a campaign in the Euros against Sweden. Um, who, Zlatan. Who, let's be honest, I know for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and for giving us Abba. Who, uh, for the first time in years, reformed and played a couple of songs together. All four of them on stage at once as a Eurovision fanatic, which we learned in a previous chapter. That was exciting for me. No, I did they? They did. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> don't, act, don't act like you don't love a bit of ABBA man everybody loves a bit of ABBA okay sorry yeah bit of Chikatita you know what I mean that air piano what I ended doing that air guitar that Bruce ah Bruce fair play to him look whatever he he makes a hit of himself but fair play to him he's mm. enjoying himself isn't he mm. he's younger than Bruce Springsteen as well which is still about mad. 10 months or something but still still mad isn't it yeah it is man. you look at the two of them he, lo- he looks very well for his age Bruce no he should go both of them Bruce looks great for his age off topic um, but anyway look that's that's it chapter 49 in yep. the books um, don't forget lads Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel or check them out on Facebook pop up here for our bottomless barbecue season every Friday throughout the summer make sure you check it out online get yourself up here support the locals and all that sort of crack you can check us out online we're on iTunes we're on Podbeam we're on Stitcher we're everywhere and anywhere just search WTS Pod Twitter at WTSPod, Facebook.com forward slash WTSPod Ireland. Rate, review, subscribe, let us know what you think, let us know if we need to do anything, or if you, if you if you have a guest idea that you want us to pursue, let us know. We're more than happy to do that, man. We're more than happy to get in Like Richie Doyle suggested, Paul Fisher. Yeah, more than happy to reach out to people and try to get them in. Um, the worst they can do is say no to us. Yeah. Um, you know, and Graham deals with rejection on Tinder all the time, so he's used to getting rejected. <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> Uh, here listen at least we're getting rejected by strangers my girlfriend rejects me so, you know what I mean um, but yeah look at Merigamania on Twitter at Danjo Murray on Twitter lads thanks for the support um, long live the good weather come on you boys in green come on Ireland nerves um, are gone can't wait better man. get out of the groups we will we definitely will yeah. it's great to have a major tournament to celebrate that is I need to see more bunting in the borough more bunting in the borough that's yeah. it we should have oh man if we had two weeks earlier we should have got that campaign going I know yeah 
For the World Cup, though. Yeah. For the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, actually. Brilliant. I'm going to well. go to a few wide matches in the World Cup. Good show, man. Good show. Austria in November. Anyway, look, we'll be talking next week more about Ireland's campaign and the Euros and more about everything to do with Ireland. It's amazing because it is amazing. And so are you for listening. But look, that's us. 49 in the books. Graham, until next week. Good luck. Good night. God bless. <laughs>